Have you always dreamed of creating your own beauty products or building your own beauty brand? Welcome to Beauty Business School, the podcast devoted to empowering beauty entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Doreen Block. Join me as we talk with industry insiders, beauty founders, and more to provide you with knowledge and resources for launching your own beauty brand. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Amanda. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I am great. It's my total pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. So we're going to get started with hearing more about your background. You have such an incredible startup founding story. So tell us more about your career in the past, and then how did you start your entrepreneurial journey? Okay. Um, I started off as a classical musician. I really thought that I just wanted to play in an orchestra. I went to school for that. I did the the festival thing. I I wound up getting a job in an orchestra in Spain, and it was great. Um, I've always been a little bit scatterbrained, though. I remember one of my college uh, professors, kind of like your major instrument teacher is like your mentor, and my clarinet teacher was telling me, I don't think you're going to like it as an orchestra musician, and I thought he was telling me that I wasn't good enough. I was horrified. And he said, no, 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 let me explain. And he tried to say, he said, music, he kind of said, it's a little bit like Groundhog Day. He said, I think you're going to get bored. And um, I didn't believe him until I did. And uh, so at one point, I started doing some consulting work because my family has a consulting practice there. It's my mom's story. It's actually far more interesting than mine. And I was working for her. But so I got to do business and I got to travel uh, really to all over the world working with organizations, trying to get their customer service processes under control. And I got to do a lot of teaching, teaching people in faraway countries how to do various processes or creating processes that worked for them. So that was really fantastic hmm. for me to have to learn how to like, teach, for example, Indian call center agents. Here's, here's what an American customer is going to be looking for, stuff hmm. like that. So it was, wow, it was that more wide-ranging is... than that. But it was good. Very wide ranging. That's such a breadth of experience from, you know, the classical musician to consulting and teaching. That is amazing. and seems like it probably set the groundwork for the career that you have today. Yes, it was fantastic for me. I had to do a lot of different things. I had to learn a lot of things on the go. The best part about it was learning that I could, that even though I was a, you know, a quote unquote artist, that I had a practical side and that I could plan and be organized. And most importantly, I really learned to communicate. So, and, and really communicate with people who didn't come from my same background. So watch them for cues and learn when they needed more, maybe. So it also really started me thinking about all the different ways the different problems can be solved. Because as a consultant, I had to be uh, you know, a creative problem solver. So I, I went back to music. Um, at a certain point, my husband got a really, really great orchestra job of his own. And I didn't need to work for a little while. So I'd gone back to music and I was coming home from a late night concert. And a friend of mine had turned me on to this particular skincare routine that required a washcloth. And it was late. I was tired and I was thinking, oh, man, I keep running out of all my washcloths because I'm I'm using them faster than I used to. And I wasn't keeping up with the laundry. But I really loved this particular routine. And so I really wanted to do it. And I I couldn't bear to go back to the old one. I was like, what do I do? Do I use a dirty one? That's disgusting. Do the paper towel? That's revolting. 
um, man, you know, I keep, the reason I don't have enough mm-hmm. is because I can't find good ones. I keep looking for softer ones, maybe something not so disgusting, maybe something prettier, maybe something that doesn't look so ugly drying on my towel bar. And, you know, it's one of those that hit you. It's like, why, why is someone not invested in a nicer washcloth? How much money do we spend on our skin? Like, even for mask removal, why do we have just carry cloth? Mm-hmm. So I got going. So and um, The aha moment a, is right there. Exactly. Exactly. And, it, you know, it's the most basic kind of, I want this. Why hasn't someone created it? I sat on it for mm-hmm. a little while because I wanted to make sure that I just wasn't being crazy, that there actually was a need. And I did a lot of research and I bought everything I could find that was a, a competitor. But to me, they, they didn't have what I was looking for. So it got started and man, it has been, it's been a, a, a real roller coaster ever since in a good way. And so when was this? How long ago was this? And then what was the process like after doing all that research, testing every competitive product to actually creating your baby? Um, I, I kind of rushed everything, which I think was a really, really good way to do it in my case. Um, I thought about it sometime early, sometime in 2015. And by the end of the year, I'd taken myself to a baby expo. Um, I actually felt like I wanted to be a beauty product wow. and I felt like there was opportunity in the baby market, but I, I felt like it was a stronger position to be a beauty company that branched out into baby than vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this baby expo and there was a way to get in and exhibit as a quote unquote inventor for, for less cost. And so I like got in under the wire off the waiting list. I thought I wasn't going to be able to do it two weeks before the show. They're like, Hey, we have an opening. So I needed a website. I needed branding. I needed a logo. I needed, I needed more prototypes. <laughs> I needed signage. I wow. needed brochures. I needed a pitch. Um, I needed a clue. And so in two weeks, two I weeks. found the <laughs> It was crazy. And I showed up and as, as I typically do, I was over prepared. Um, but I got to watch how people responded. Back then it was even a slightly different product. It was a little more complicated, had more bells and whistles. And I, I still love it. But watching how people responded and watching that it was a little too complicated for them was the best thing in the world. If I had taken longer to perfect that product, and man, there's so much involved in perfecting it, but ugh. But if I'd taken even longer, I would have been working on stuff that turned out to be useless. By getting it in some way to the market faster, I was able to see how they took it and then to take the strengths, run with those, eliminate the weaknesses, and pivot. So I I always say to anybody who's working on getting something together, the faster you can start putting it in front of more people, the better, because there are going to be major things that you haven't thought of or that you thought too much about. Somewhere you are fundamentally wrong. And the sooner you find that out, the better. Absolutely. I am so thrilled that you're bringing up that advice for entrepreneurs. And it's something that in the technology business, which is where I come from, we hear so much about this idea of lean methodology and um, just shipping a product even before you feel that it's ready. And this is something that we are really trying to drive home with Beauty Business School is that the same type of principles can be done in beauty. Um, And it's not that Mm -hmm. way for every entrepreneur, but it's really exciting to hear that you leverage that and that you have that mentality. Um, I guess walk me through also, I'd love to hear more about the process of actually developing the physical product and um, the type of revision or how you worked on the revisions uh, with the manufacturer or however you went about that. would love to hear more. Oh, man, that's rough. Um, and that's probably a little bit more related to the garment industry, but I'll, I'll tell you about it oh, interesting. Um, kind okay. of briefly. 
It's, uh, first off, you know, the, the basis was that I didn't like terry cloth and that I wasn't finding the bamboo or microfiber cloth out there to be particularly uh, elegant. So it's like, well, first off, you have to find a great fabric. And it's one of those, well, what's a great bath fabric? Well, terry cloth. You know, over and over, the answer was uh, terry cloth. And so looking for better terry cloths. The, the garment industry and fabric sourcing, that is a very complicated place. People have their connections and they've been using them forever. There is no fabric agent that I've found yet who knows all the fabrics. People deal in linens only, or in silks only, or in terry cloth only. So nobody can really give you an overview. You can't find a place that sells everything. So luckily, I live in LA, and I just marched myself into the garment district. And um, there are a lot of places that are kind of scary, look a little bit like third, well, whole neighborhoods that look like third world countries where you can just dive in and go into the back, sometimes even into the attics and just dig in through all these fabrics, get samples. Sometimes they can give you little swatches. Sometimes you have to buy a few yards. And I just started bringing home crazy stuff. And I started seeing what it did when it got wet. I started Amazing. seeing how it behaved with soap on it. What did it do with my skin? Um, it just playing around forever. And which ones uh, discolored, which ones released stains, which ones wouldn't let go of mascara no matter what and found a couple of favorites, then tried to figure out, you know, real places where I could get a, a reliable supply, not just the odds and ends, and then started looking for manufacturers, which is mostly still very, very much an old boys network. And there's a great, um, how I built this podcast, uh, the one with Sarah Blakely of uh, Spanx. She, she I kind of- I love Sarah. She's amazing. <laughs> she is amazing. Um, her explanation is a good one. Mine was similar, a little harder, because I was, I, I, you know, kind of like her, that's the product that no one has thought of, no one has done. It's an a washcloth alternative. They, they just give you the third degree. What's wrong with washcloths? Or why do you need this? Or these guys, they either make swimsuits or lingerie or jeans. Beauty makes no sense to them. They want to do what they've done, and they want to do it until they retire. So Isn't it to find one that to wants how, to work with you. Yeah, and, and it just I wanted to mention that it's just so fascinating that as an entrepreneur, you have you're fighting this uphill battle of yes, there's a market for it. Yes, I'm I'm not crazy, there's something here. Uh, but you really have to fight for it. Yeah. I mean it, it's it's ridiculous the ways in which you have to fight. You know, so many times you want to say, people, I want to pay you money to do this for me. Right. Really? You're really not even going to answer my phone calls. That's so, crazy. So, you know, I got some that were interested in working some. We, I went down the, the road of investigation and testing with so many of them. Some of them would change their minds later, some of them. And, you know, some of them were just, I think, probably skirting half the laws. And so obviously I couldn't do business with them. Um, a lot, a lot mm. of shady garment manufacturers in Los Angeles. So, and Finally was found. this, it's actually something that has come up um, as a big question with a lot of uh, people who are interested in, in taking an entrepreneurial path, which is around how do you vet the ethics of the manufacturers that you're working with? And so uh, just to touch on this, since you're bringing it up, were the concerns that you had around the, um, the working conditions or was it something else? Um, it's, it's a, a combination of things. So California, because it has such a large garment industry, luckily has more regulations than other states. I think it's a good thing. I mean, they're, they're trying to protect the workers. 
So, but there's still a lot of places that are skirting those regulations. And some of those regulations make it a lot harder for someone like me to do business, but I understand where they come from. Um, so walking into some places, there were a few places that probably were following all the laws because I got good at, at seeing the, the signs. There's certain things about them that, you know, if they've bothered to do this and that type of thing, that they're probably following everything in their register with the authorities. Um, but there were some of them that just, the, the people who work there, they're just not people you want to talk to. Um, when they proudly put out, like, really distasteful products that they're manufacturing and keep it on the desk proudly during your conversation with a kind of like, yeah, are you going to say something about this attitude? Hmm. That's just not somebody I want to have to call very often about right. an order. And then there's some others that are clearly looking at their workforce. I'm like, I, I just had a sense that workers were not getting treated well. This, it just felt like a place where perhaps they weren't always getting paid. Um, there were some oh, things wow. that had to be safety violations, you know. And these were supposedly yeah. good producers. I, I, it's a weird network. It's a weird industry. Hmm. And so you're out there meeting. It seems like you were really, you know, hitting the pavement around doing the diligence to go out there and meet all these people. And so is it still something that's a work in progress in finding, you know, the most ideal manufacturer? Or do you feel like you've gotten there now? It's hard to say. <laughs> it's such a weird thing. Um, I I feel like I have I have a very honest one. I have a very good one. You know, I still feel like they just want me to be one of those businesses that has the same level of orders every month, or I may not be worth their while. And you know, until my my company is a lot larger, I can't guarantee monthly production numbers. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know. I might I might have to be looking for someone else again. Um, I would really like to keep it in the United States. For a lot of reasons, including I can turn things around faster, including I can visit the factory and I could know exactly how it's being done, um, including um, just all the wonderful things about control. You know, yeah. Um, in the in yes. the end, one of the ways that they told me I had to make it, they were my cost per piece was going to be so high, I couldn't afford to do it. So one of the one of the weirder aspects of this is much like I did the fabric, I had to teach myself pattern making. I could not find a professional wow. pattern maker who could figure out a way to sew this slippery fabric without too many steps. I wound up buying two industrial, really three industrial sewing machines, um, those crazy table models, teaching myself to use them, and coming up with this crazy pattern that's like a paper doll thing that the, the corners are attached. And then I had to convince my current manufacturer to make it. And luckily, I'd had that orchestra job in Spain, so I spoke Spanish because they were they just were Amazing. like, no, this is ridiculous. We refuse to do this. And so they wound up getting the, the factory engineer in there because the, in a garment factories, pretty much to even adjust the sewing machine, you kind of need a, a technician. So he came in. I don't know why. And they were telling him, she says this can be done. This is ridiculous, right? And they didn't know I could speak Spanish, and so I butted in, and I said, no, 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 look, you do it like this, and you fold this over, and you go around like that, and if you just adjust the machine to do it like this, it's great. And he looked at me, and they looked at me, and he kind of nodded to them like, maybe. And so then we, <laughs> they let me onto the factory floor. They grabbed another lady off of one of the other machines. They pulled her over to the machine that we needed for my thing, and then I proceeded to explain to her in Spanish what we needed. And she looked at me like I was crazy, but she was able to do it. And so I had this group of four people sitting there kind of looking at me and looking at each other like, oh, man, our argument just was proven wrong. <laughs> so they gave it a try. 
and they still think I'm completely crazy, but they they do a good job. They're honest. And they're treating their workers well. It so works. Yes. Exactly. And you have many and I, happy I was able customers. to afford to produce in the United States. So amazing. That is incredible. That is so incredible. And um, all this time, by the way, just to touch on the financial aspect of this, are you funding the dream? Did you decide to bring in investors? Tell me about that aspect. That has been a funny, long story. So it was primarily self-funded at the beginning. And then, you know, I had friends and family that would occasionally chip in if I had some crazy thing I wanted to do, but I couldn't figure out where to, to get it. Um, it's been patchwork. And then for a while, well, now we brought in some angel investors last year. Um, and it's this weird ragtag thing. It's one of those, I would have never thought at the beginning that I could find the money to do this. When I look at how much money we've put into it so far, if, if you had told me a couple of years ago that I was going to find this much money for something like this, I would have said you were lying. So it's, it's mm -hmm. amazing when you have an idea that you are really excited about, you will find new avenues that you never thought possible. And anytime somebody tells me, well, I can't do it because I don't have the money, I get sad on their behalf. Because when you're starting a business, at every single moment, there are a thousand things that need to be done that have nothing to do with money. You could be researching the competition. You could be researching website SEO. You could be making sure you understand Instagram as well as you need to. You, you could be doing something yourself that costs absolutely nothing that is a skill that you're going to need to have. So if you're waiting to start because you don't yet have the money, you're never going to start. Because also, if you need it from someone else, they're unlikely to give it to you until you have built a rather compelling case. And until you've gotten right. more of that work done and you know what to spend it on. And you won't unless you've started. Absolutely. So, Hitting the nail on the head. Every one of those things moves the business forward. And that's the main thing that you need. And you're right. So many of those things can be done without a dime in the bank. And sometimes you find... I really believe that you often find the answer you really need when you're forcing yourself to be more resourceful. Yeah, I can't that's say that true. I straight up wasted a lot of money, but I'm actually really glad I didn't have more because if I had had more, I would have wasted more. You know, I would have followed, you know, various advice pieces other people gave me. You need this and you need that. And you don't always. And, and sometimes you want to complicate the better. product. Right. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And so these angel investors who you brought in, um, it, was there any key metric or milestone that really made the difference in bringing them in as an investor? Um, in terms of them choosing to work with us? Yeah. Was it something they were looking for in us or is it something meaning what we did after we received the money? Oh, no, more before they they gave you money. Was there something that really made the difference in terms of them wanting to be part of the investor group? It was a personal connection. Um, so it's actually through my children's school. There's another mom that Amazing. I've known for a long time. We joke that um, our children have been engaged since age three. Her son and my daughter <laughs> have been best friends forever. Oh, it's so and sweet. She's one of those people you just hit it off with, but I, I had no idea what she did. It turns out she manages a small family office, so a small hedge fund. And, uh, you know, when you're excited about a product, you tend to talk about it a lot. And so I talked about it. And at, at one point, she kind of did a double take and said, tell me more about this. What are you doing? 
And so she took me out for coffee and I kind of explained what had been going on. And she just personally thought it was extremely compelling. And then she heard we had done this uh, Sephora licensing deal. And she said that that's, that's something. And just talking more and getting to know each other more, she said, I would like to be involved in this. So she started bringing in some friends of hers who have done some pretty amazing entrepreneurial things and sold companies to much larger companies. We got together for some for some lunch, for some advice sessions, and she decided that she would like for her company to be involved. So in my case, it was just a very lucky personal connection. Um, and they're very, you know, very much silent partners. They, they just, it's a, they believe in it and they believe in the environmental aspect. And they, you know, some of the people involved are ophthalmologists because one of our things is an eye makeup remover wow. and a dermatologist. And from a medical standpoint, they're like, this, this is good. This is, this is what people should be using. So that this feels good to have that kind of a, that kind of expertise behind us. That is so brilliant. And um, isn't it just remarkable how when you're out there talking about this product that you're so passionate about, the doors just open in very unexpected ways. You could have never planned that, as you were saying, you know, when you first conceived of the product. No, never. Absolutely. So I want to talk more about the amazing publications that you've been featured in. Allure, Glamour, New Beauty, Pop Sugar. Has PR been a big driver for awareness of the brand? And, um, you know, or if not, what have been other really important marketing channels? You know, PR definitely gives us the best reach. Um, other marketing channels, it's, you know, it's similar, but it's different. It's going to trade shows. Um, for me, it's personally a lot of fun. I guess maybe it's the musician. I'm a, a performer, I suppose. I love talking to people. I'm actually an introvert who get me on a stage and I cannot shut up. So get me into a trade show. Amazing. And I just, I want to tell everybody about it. And if you're not interested, I almost want to talk to you more. I want everybody to understand why if they have ever in their, in their life used a cotton ball or a wipe or, uh, or a face cloth, that this is better and that this is what they need. And here's why. And I enjoy speaking to their different concerns. I really enjoy speaking. I kind of enjoy when they gently argue, although I don't, I don't like to be confrontational, but it's, it's so fun and it's fun to see um, where my communication gets better and worse. So at these trade shows, because we expend a lot of energy, we give out samples, we really try to engage a lot of people. um, It winds up, it's a ripple effect. You know, these people remember us. They remember our crazy name. They remember our crazy product. And it comes up later again, you know, thanks to PR. And then they, they wind up talking about it. Also, you know, trade shows are just, it's the biggest concentration of, of experts and fans. So that's, that's one of the great places to be. Love it. And are there any trade shows that, uh, any by name that you particularly love? Well, my favorite is Indie Beauty Expo. Okay. Um, great. Okay. One of the crazier things I did was not too long after that baby expo, which was a wacky idea, but I'm so glad I did it. The very next summer, I went to Cosmoprof, which was hilarious because I'd just been dumped. Well, I was about to get dumped by my main manufacturer. I didn't know yet. Wow. And that was another one of those, I'm just going to go here and do this. And yet again, I learned so much, so much. And I'd, I'd had a crazy last minute product idea two weeks before the show and I brought it. And that was the one that caught on the most. And I was like, okay, well, there we go. So that one was good, but it's, it's very large. And so after that, um, someone from, you know, Indie Beauty Expo Sales contacted me 
And that group is so invested in the long-term success of their participants. They try so hard to make it such an excellent experience for you, your staff, and the people who attend. They put in really smart work, and then every year they're improving at what they do. So it's a fun group to be connected to. I also like FounderMade, but that one's a little more spread because it's food and uh, beauty and you know, consumer goods. Um, it can be a little bit harder to find the right type of person to talk to. But man, Indie Beauty Expo, that is, if you, if you have any interest, they, they run an excellent, um, I mean, for anybody who has an interest, they run an excellent kind of educational thing, always a few days before the show. Those are fantastic for people starting out uh, entrepreneurially. Excellent, excellent informational seminars. And then after that, the show itself, if you can exhibit, great. If you can just walk the floor, it, it's marvelous. That is such great advice. And um, the one thing that you brought up uh, was the eco-friendliness story and um, how a lot of the trade shows, you're spending time educating people who are there about the eco-friendly story with Take My Face Off and the MIDI. I would love to hear more about that. And in what ways do you believe that green, and interested to hear if you consider yourself in the green uh, segment, to what extent is that the future of the beauty industry? You know, I, I, you know, everything kind of needs to become more green or, or else, you know, it's in general, I think of it as one of the most serious issues out there. The reason I really got excited about this, you know, started because I wanted a better face cloth. And then I thought, well, it could be more like a tool. It could be softer. It could be more effective. It could be cute. But really what turned this into an actual mission is when I started doing my research and discovered how many people were relying on wipes. And then, of course, cotton balls. I had not been a big wipe user because they make me break out and they make my eyes burn. I did not understand how many people were using them as their primary cleanser, and I did not have any idea of what an environmental catastrophe they are. And I would have never thought that a cotton ball was a problem because cotton's a plant, so what's the big deal? Um, both of them are significant problems for very different reasons and sometimes surprising reasons. But in general, anything that is a single-use disposable to me is kind of now horrifying. Um, just the, the pollution, it's actually the constant creation of them. So if you have a washcloth, an old, an old terry cloth washcloth, and you keep it for five years, great. You're just laundering it. The amount of water and detergent you're using is actually minimal. If you are buying a package of wipes every week, every week or every two weeks, not only is there the trash, it's how it was created, and every single one of them has to be created for every single use. The amount of packaging right. and, and transportation and just the number of um, outputs from that process is frightening. And so the, the best thing we can do as a society, the quickest, the easiest thing we can do to impact the environment, this is what all environmental scientists tell us. I mean, reduce, reuse, recycle, that's great. Reuse is the single most powerful one of those three. Hmm. So whenever possible, if we can skip any kind of disposable for any kind of reusable, a plastic reusable is better than an organic, natural disposable. I am feeling so, so guilty right now, but also feeling so much more informed. Um, and I'm so, it's so exciting to see light being shed on this issue with a solution that you are bringing a product to market that solves this disposables issue. That's incredible. 
I, I, I personally, I joke that we are a, we are a cute, fun product with an ulterior motive, because I want it to, I want it to be accessible for everybody. I don't, I don't want people to look at this and think only that that's only a product for tree huggers. I mean, I am a tree hugger, but I like brightly colored, fun things with tons of attitude. So we, we are very much a green company, and green goes into every decision I make. And I, I got to tell you, I spend. I cannot tell you how much time I, I work to find like better packaging that's recyclable, all these odds and everything we do is within, I think, a 15-mile radius. Fulfillment, wow. um, manufacturing, everything. Amazing. We do so many tiny things to keep it under control, to offset the little bits that so far I haven't figured out. I haven't figured out the perfect recyclable container. That bugs me. Um, I kind of wish I had a, a different fabric, but I literally have done the math. And my fabric is greener than anything I tested because it lasts forever. My earliest prototypes are four years old. They look brand new. And because wow. reusing is the most powerful, I'm not just saying this, there's actually numbers to back it up. Um, if I were to make this from organic hemp, it would not be as green because on average those needed to be replaced about every three months. So we are very much part of a, a green movement, but I'm trying to do it in a different way. I believe that moving forward, every company, every person kind of has an obligation to make changes where they can. I don't want to guilt anybody. I don't want them up in their life. But wherever we can, we should make changes. And I want to give people a product that is green through and through where there is zero loss of performance. In fact, this performs so much better. I want it to be an improvement over what they have. I want it to be more elegant. I want it to be more fun. I want it to save them money. Um, and I don't want it to, I don't want to just sell it to people because it's green. I want to sell it to people because it's better. And then it's my job mm -hmm. as a producer to make something that's also ethically powerful. So Take My Face Off can be found in a lot of retailers nationwide. Do you feel like you've hit an inflection point with the business really taking off and being accessible to all potential customers? Or is there still more work to do there? And what's on the horizon for the brand in terms of the retail strategy? We are constantly rethinking that. And we have to, to give it some more thought. So we're really happy with where we are. Um, sometimes we see things sell well. And sometimes we don't. Because while nobody likes washcloths and nobody loves cotton balls, it doesn't follow that they know that there's a replacement. It doesn't follow that they're looking for right. a replacement. It's one of those mm -hmm. weird things that, yeah, it's, you know, the, the competition is universally unpopular, but just nobody knows we exist. So we always work on, you know, what's, what retailer is going to help us do that job of getting the word out? Because if we just put something on a shelf and expect it to fly off, well, that's not going to happen. So some retailers are more equipped than others to tell the story. Some retailers um, are trafficked by customers who are looking for something new. Some retailers are just places where people are looking to get the same old thing. So we have to really think hard about that. And again, we're still made in the United States, so our costs are, I want, I want to state, what I really want to do is I've got some crazy ideas for how I want to um, retrofit sewing machines to be partially automated, and I want to, I want to keep it here. But that's, that's in the future. But So our costs are kind of high, so we have to be strategic. And I feel like I'm starting to see it get a lot more momentum but I don't feel like we have the perfect strategy. And I feel like we have to keep doing a better job telling it from our website. This is an area where PR has been incredibly powerful. We picked a crazy name, which helps people remember it. And then PR is getting that name out in front of people more so that more and more people, instead of saying, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've told people about the product and I just get deer in headlights. 
They're like, what? Do you throw it away? No. Well, how do you clean it? You launder it. Well, how do you use it? Like a cotton ball. What is it? Well, um, so these things are helping us, and I'm seeing the momentum pick up right now. But I really feel like we've got a lot to learn because we're this crazy, weird, new thing that people never heard of before. Amazing. True, true entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, I also want to second that the retail decisions can make such a big impact on the consumer education. We regularly mm -hmm. see from a data perspective that retailer emails, for example, drive a lot of awareness of new brands, new product formulation types. Um, so having a retail partnership where they are equally invested in telling the educational story can be really big. Also, of course, social media. And I saw recently that you've partnered with Vlada MUA on the MIDI. How did that partnership come about? Tell me more. Oh, my gosh. Um, so our, our CFO, so the woman who brought us the angel investors is now our CFO. And I love her because she's so creative. But she actually doesn't know that much about beauty, which means that sometimes her ideas are genius just because she, she doesn't know that it's normally not done that way. And she says, okay, a lip item. Oh, my gosh, we need to do this with Vlada. And I kind of rolled my eyes and said, yeah, right, like she would work with us. Said, no, we have to ask. So we, we asked, and um, shockingly, the word came back that she was interested. Send her some products. So we did. And then shockingly, the answer came, these are really cool. I love them. Let's talk. So we had a Absolutely kind of a vetting amazing. meeting with her manager. Her manager was like, you know, she gets she gets brought some crazy things. I got to make sure that you guys are are for real. And so it was a great meeting, and and everything was was lovely. And then we you know started working with her on product specifics and packaging, and then her artistic contributions. And I don't know how we got so lucky. She is so not only is she astonishingly talented, she is an amazingly hard worker. She is gracious. She is professional. Mm -hmm. She is she is lovely, and she's interested in all the things that we are interested in. I mean, she's got a passion for bees because they're pollinators, and plants depend on them. And you know, bee habitats are being damaged, and there's a lot of a lot of stuff in common. So, I, I still feel like um, some kind of angel reached down and touched us with that one. Oh, that's so beautiful! And isn't it just amazing what happens when you just ask? Sometimes things can be <laughs> seem so far out of reach, but I feel like this is such a powerful, uh, you know, lesson for people who want to become entrepreneurs, which is that unless you hear no, the answer could be yes. <laughs> so that's incredible. Exactly. I mean, be careful about how you ask aside from that. And I, you know, I always thought that I was just this ridiculously audacious person. And so I thought that, well, if I feel like it's too much, we shouldn't do it. And then I, mm -hmm. the person who did the asking for us, um, is another professional, and she said, I, I don't think this is going to work out. She's like, on behalf of other clients, I've reached out to her and never heard a thing. Says, no, no, just keep doing it, just do it. So, yeah, just always, always, always ask, especially in this industry. This industry, mm -hmm. I feel like, is particularly open to communication and new ideas and all sorts of, of wacky new things. I agree. What beautiful alignment on this collaboration. I wish you so much success on, on this um, and all Thank of your you. other future crazy ideas. Um, I know that in addition to Take My Face Off, you're also a founding member of the F Project, which is focused on raising economic success of female founders. 
what are some of the best pieces of advice? And I know we've covered a lot today, but um, anything else that you want to share for female founders? And do you believe that beauty is a good industry for female founders? I cannot imagine a much better industry for female founders. Um, yeah, it's really fantastic. It's, it's an industry where women leaders are the norm and not the exception, mm-hmm. um, where you're going to find a lot of support for your attempts to learn and try new things. You're going to find a lot of people who are happy to give you meetings just if you ask. So it's, it's a much easier one in which to network and find mentors and find information. It is, it is very intentionally open door instead of other industries, which, man, you have to have been in there 10 years just to get a, a tiny foothold. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's excellent for that. I love also that there's so many different types of role models in beauty um, through social media, through podcasts, through books. You can, you can find different people and you can find somebody who has something about their story that resonates with you. Because not, not every person is meant to be friends or mentors with, with every other person. So find somebody who has something about them that reminds you of what you want. And pay attention and study and use that as an example. Makes sense. And um, I think you're alluding to this, but do you have a mentor or a set of mentors? And what have been the primary lessons that you've learned from them? Hmm. I have had different people who've mentored me at different times. and. Um, the primary lesson is to think bigger, usually. The, the ones who've helped me the most have been um, anytime I bring up a problem or trouble or something that's worrying me and I don't know how to get past it, one of the best things they've ever done is to kind of look at me with a smile and say, hmm, gee, I wonder how you're ever going to solve anything like that. It's not like you've ever solved a problem before. <laughs> Reminding me that more is always possible. Um, I don't have mm-hmm. to be hemmed in. And usually my mentors have come from other industries. For my particular situation, it's helpful because I'm not quite the typical beauty product. Um, and sometimes people within beauty have had some advice that probably would have worked beautifully for another beauty product, but didn't work for me. Um, so I like, to grab, I like to grab information from people who are unlike me personally. Mm-hmm. I like to be challenged by people who I wouldn't necessarily be best friends with. And I like to be challenged by people who look at something totally differently and that has changed with time. Well, that's not the most pat yeah. answer, um, but for me, that's how it's, how it's happened. Amazing. I well, just find I somebody like who's fascinating have... and I attach myself to them. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's the right way. And I think that um, so much of great new business ideas, um, innovation, and this is something that we cover in Beauty Business School in a lot of different ways around how do great ideas come about. A lot of times it's by mixing and mashing things that wouldn't necessarily go together. And I think that can be the case with mentorship and, um, you know, with mentorship and with product creation. Yeah. Yeah. Is, You're right. I mean, there's, oh, go ahead. it doesn't make any sense to do everything the same way every single time. You know, that's right. As, as you're saying, that's where innovation comes from. That's where improvement comes from. So we, we have to be willing to not take other people's advice when it's not right. And you have mm-hmm. to be willing to, to be crazy and try something different. Mm-hmm. Do you have other um, news or anything that you want to share with the audience today? Um, any closing thoughts? Mm, closing thoughts. 
are, again, always remember that there is something you can be doing no matter what obstacle you're against. And sometimes if you're against an insurmountable thing, or it seems insurmountable, just pivot for a while. Find something else to work on. Find some other problem to solve. Yeah, the original one will often work itself out. It's so beautiful. I agree. And I'm so grateful that we could have this conversation today. Thank you so much, Amanda. Well, as I said, I love to talk, and you just let me talk a ton. So I can't uh, <laughs> help but thank you so much. Also, you are a massive inspiration. I love what you do. Okay. And I love, I love who you are. Uh, I love the, where you position your company within the industry, and I love the messages you send. So I'm totally honored to be talking to you because the last time I saw you, you were up on a stage. So thank you very much. Thank you. I've been smiling through this entire Q&A and have learned a lot. And it's just so energizing to speak with other founders, entrepreneurs, people who are trying to push the industry forward. I have some homework to do to go and pick up your products. So I'm so grateful for today's conversation and cannot wait to keep in touch.